I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. My name is Sudarshan, and today I have with me Shridhar. Both of us are working on the Takshashila's 20 million jobs project, wherein we are trying to come up with policies. and pretty much painting a policy landscape which can produce 20 million jobs in india per year today we are going to analyze a government scheme which has been called largest social security scheme in the world which is panrega it was started in 2005 and it's been considered one of the most successful social security schemes in the world especially for rural india it provides 100 days work minimum as per demand and it tries to create productive assets of prescribed quality and productivity to enhance rural infrastructure today we are going to analyze the objectives benefits challenges shortcomings and unintended consequences of this scheme and in the end we'll try to understand what things need to be changed and what needs to be done differently so welcome shridhar to the podcast and i think we'll start with the first thing which is i would like you to help our listeners understand objectives and benefits of this scheme thank you very much sudisha i think mandrega is a like you mentioned one of the largest social security schemes in the world and i think for a country of india's size population and we are not a rich country right by any stretch of imagination we are not a rich country our per capita income is only around 2000 dollars and therefore for somebody to have like come up with a scheme like this and said that hey we need to remove abject poverty in our country and you can't like wait till for the next 50 years before everybody has got enough money and like this there are resources we've got to do something and we've got to act now i think it was in that context that around 2005 the scheme was launched and in this over the last 15 17 years there have been like many naysayers and people who questioned why there was a need for this etc but there's a significant amount of money i think like last year we spent about almost close to 100000 crores on this project on this scheme and today we've got about 73000 crores if i'm not mistaken allotted to manrega and the currently there are about 155 active million active workers who are benefiting from the manrega scheme these people have so far received something like 1000 1.8 billion percent days of work and this scheme works towards providing people with some guarantees work up to 100 days in a year and it's up to the individual to go and say that i want some mandrega work and the government is supposed to make that possible and the idea is that not only will this provide a certain amount of wage for 100 days of work guaranteed amount of work for 100 days to a large section of our rural poor it is also the idea also is that while we ask them to do work the work is not just about some digging some holes covering up the hole and so on like some skeptics suggest but the objective was to build and create durable assets towards water conservation drought proofing irrigation 
land development, water harvesting, flood control, and rural connectivity, right? So that these people have access to markets and so on. But the early years were really spent on setting up the program architecture, etc. But I think it would be wrong to suggest that no assets have been created. Some have. But the other benefit has been many, right? I mean, uh, Sudisha, do you want to sort of talk about what the benefits of the scheme have been so far and with respect to the objectives? Yeah, thanks, Sridhar. So I think that there have been multiple benefits. And before I get to that, I think it's very important to understand the kind of people who are looking for this work, right? So, I mean, thanks to People's Archive of Rural India, which is started by P. Sainath, I've been able to read multiple individual stories of people who are reliant on Manrega work. So from my research And from my experience of working in a bank, which was almost five years ago, as it turns out, it's almost always the people from the tribal communities and people from lower castes and class who are looking for this kind of work. And that's mostly because, you know, they are dependent on intermittent work in general. So let's say the Manrega scheme did not exist. They were reliant on seasonal farming and let's say something is being developed in their villages. So they go and they participate for maybe 20 days of work and then they have nothing left. So a scheme like this definitely provides them with a social security net that they can rely on when nothing else is available. The Manrega is often the last resort that is left for them. And I think that's a great benefit to have, right? It's a great security to have in their lives. So that's definitely the one that this this scheme provides some sort of guarantee to them. The second one would be that this scheme definitely empowers women. And I think that, you know, maybe it's conjecture at this point, but I think that no other scheme in India has provided women as much freedom and independence as this scheme, simply because... When you look at uh, intermittent work that I pointed out earlier, it's mostly the men who get this work over women. And this is something that we've pointed out and written about extensively in our document on women's labor force participation. So a good example would be that, let's say a machine is introduced to a farm. A farmer you know, is able to buy a new machine for harvesting. It will be mostly the men who get the opportunity to operate them. And that completely removes the role of women from the system. So I think this scheme is able to help the women get work when nothing else is available for them. And a good example that I read was in Bangla Medu in Tamil Nadu, where there is a tribal community called Irula. And they do small jobs around Tamil Nadu, which includes maybe picking groundnut crops or digging canals, right? But over the years, the availability of these small jobs have decreased and it's mostly the men who are able to get them. But the women, they paint a very positive picture about Manrega, you know, of this community, simply because all these men are able to get the jobs that they were previously getting. But now Manrega is provided, is being able to provide them guaranteed jobs. That's another thing yeah. um, that, you know, yeah, that's, women that's wonderful, are, uh, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and I was just saying, yeah, I was just agreeing with you and I'm saying, yeah, that's wonderful that, you know, women are getting benefited significantly through this scheme. And like we've discussed, you and I, Sudisha, that then money goes into the hands of women. They spend it on 
improving the lives of their families in a way that, you know, very often, unfortunately, men do not. They provide better food to their children. They help them to get educated. And it sort of goes a long way in um, improving long-term well-being of rural families. I just wanted to add that. I agree with you and just to say that. Yeah, Go ahead, please. Yeah, that's actually the beauty of this. So there's a survey which is done in 2009 by Jean Drez and Ritika Khera, two very popular economists in India, who almost everyone knows about. And in that survey, they were able to find that 30%, 38% of the surveyed women said that Manrega provided them with money that they used exclusively to send their children to schools. So, uh, you know, a conjecture would be that because the women are able to find guaranteed work and the men men are anyway expected to work, you know, in an Indian household, the household burden chore would have fallen on the elder daughter's shoulder or maybe even the younger if they have an elder son. But as it turns out through the survey and through several other studies, the women have used the money to send all their children to schools. No child has been exclusively selected for the household burden chore. So the women have not only worked under this scheme, they've also come back home and done the household chores and used that money to send to school, send their children to schools. So I think that's like a an unexpected outcome of this scheme. And uh, it, yeah. you know, it, it really fascinated me. Yeah. Then, and I uh, wanted to add a few more. Yeah, yeah. No, Shida, you continue. I would like to know your thoughts on that. No, no, I think this is great. And I wanted to also point out, I mean, besides the fact that there are people who have been sort of saying that, you know, the impact of Mandrega work has been only to dig some holes, etc. I was reading an interesting article written by Sudha Narayan from the Indira Gandhi Institute of Development Research. And she talks about four areas in which, uh, four dimensions of impacts that Mandrega assets can be regarded to have created. And the first one, she says, is like, you know, it's augmenting rural incomes through investments in rural livelihoods. So she gives anecdotal information, right? She talks about how in Tamil Nadu, the Department of Fisheries has done something around, are able to look at poultry sheds being built or fish ponds being built under Mandrega and are also helping farmers like, you know, improved rearing of cattle, poultry, etc. So I think that's something that's happening. But there's also, sometimes there's also marketing arrangements which are in place, which helps them to go out and like, you know, sell, sell their produce. So this way, it's actually augmenting their income. The second thing that she talks about is about augmenting productivity of agriculture through investments in land and water. In land and water, land, uh, water seems to be an area where like, a large part of the Mandrega money seems to have been going towards those assets which are created. But they are about like, you know, in Kadappa district in Andhra Pradesh, which is generally prone to a lot of drought, she says a massive network of contour trenches along the hillocks has increased availability and irrigation. So this is, I was just quoting Sudha in this article. And she's also talking about how in Ladakh and Jammu and Kashmir, Mandrega has funded an intensive network of cools where not, while and again not the Andamans is sort of and then the third one is about how do you and she says it's not just that the third dimension she talks about is about building resilience so she talks about how in Tamil Nadu alone some 5.8 million saplings have been planted with a survival rate of rain of about 75 percent and similarly in Chhattisgarh, Andhra Pradesh and Telangana they have planted lots of trees along the highway and the roadside 
and which also have impressive survival rates between 60 and 80%. And she talks about how it's also helping protecting against tsunami, coastal erosion through planting mangroves, et cetera, which is happening, which otherwise may not have happened. I think that's the point that she's trying to make the kind of, as some of the assets which have been created may not have been created if Mandrega had not been there. So this is something that she points out and like, you know, talks about the benefits of Mandrega. Yeah, that's a great point. And in fact, this is what I have also read that, you know, Madrega has led to creation of sustainable rural assets, water conservation, forestry, especially in states like Bihar, for example. So I covered this in, in our earlier podcast that half of the Bihar is prone to floods and half of the Bihar is prone to droughts. And the one thing that the state really needs is a defense against that. So, you know, projects like Manrega have helped in that. And I just want to point out the last benefit before we take a break and come to the next point. Manrega has led to financial inclusion of, you know, beneficiary to Indian economy because we know that in 2017, the whole process was digitized and that has led to, you know, all the laborers who work under this scheme, they've had to make an account in a bank and that's where their wages come and that's how they get their wages. So this entire process has led to digitization and financial inclusion of a lot of people in India. There are some you know, some caveats to that. So before we come to the next point, let's take a short break. Okay, we're back. So we've covered the objectives and the benefits. Sridhar, I would like you to point out some of the challenges you think that are associated with the scheme. Yeah, I think The benefit has definitely been around, like you mentioned, to summarize some of the benefits, I think they've had, there is reduction in rural poverty because of people getting at least some amount of work. There is a benefit, women have like disproportionately been benefited on this program. And that has led to big benefits for large number of rural households. Maybe there is a wage floor which has been created on account of this, therefore, Overall, agricultural wage is supposed to have, is also known to have gone up by about 5.3%. So I think some of these have been like great benefits. On the other hand, I think while we talked about, I mean, Sudha's note talked about how there are all these anecdotal examples. She gave some nice examples of work which has been done to augment rural income, improve productivity of agriculture through investment in land and water, building resilience through greening initiatives and management of natural disasters, right? So these are all good anecdotal things. But there have been some people who have questioned this, right? So I was reading an interesting article written by Jagdish Bhagwati and Arvind Panagarya, and they had questioned Manrega and its benefits and said that, you know, They look at it from two, three different points of view. One, they say, okay, you're paying a certain amount of wage and you're saying that you're paying them, you're raising the rural wage, the floor wage, right? But you say like, yeah, so which means that these people are not working in those, let's say 130 rupees is what Manrega pays and 80 rupees is what they would have earned otherwise. So it's basically like 50 rupees is what they are, the farmers benefiting with, but the government is spending 130 rupees to provide 50 rupees worth of benefit. 
that's their sort of take on some of the on the money aspect the second point they make is that there is quality of assets which have been created are remarkably poor and there is not a good credible estimate of the overall value of the assets created if say hundreds of thousands of crores have been spent over the last decade and a half on mandrega do we have like some concrete evidence of like you know the kind of infrastructure rural infrastructure which has been created using them and i think that data is definitely lacking i was looking at the mandrega website also and if you want to go and find out like you know what assets have been created in what place etc it's really hard to find out they have like data by some district level etc and then within that the taluk and then you have to get some and then you have to aggregate all this and even there i don't think there's a value given to i mean let's say you've you've dug a canal now is this work you maybe you've spent 10 crores in digging this canal now is the canal worth 10 crores right is it worth only 50 lakhs so that's not very clear so the value of the assets created is not very clear and some states definitely have taken a little more interest in creating assets and using this as an opportunity while many other states have not most states have paid scant attention to asset creation and have focused just on providing work the people they also talk about the fact that this money is being spent at a village level which is like you know very and and small amounts of money are being spent in each village and so high quality assets are not created and even those assets which are created are often not very useful and even if they are useful they are not well maintained over time because the next year they may go and do something else therefore like kaushik basu for instance suggested that why don't you take the money which is allotted to mandrega and give 60% of it as cash transfer and use 40% of the money to actually create useful assets right so that's like you know there are some people who feel this way and there are some big farmers who crib that you know they're not getting workers now the work ethic of these people has become poor the people whom they were able to exploit and like you know get them to work for very low wages now are demanding higher wages and better working conditions and you know <laughs> and so they are like they're complaining that like they're not doing it so i think these are some of the problems right i mean basically my biggest takeaway from this is yes we are providing employment we are helping to reduce rural poverty but a lot more could be done with this money if we were to create good quality assets and actions in that area will make a big difference what are your thoughts on this sudesh So thanks Shridhar for summing up the points and shortcomings and I think I would like to add on that one of the things that's pointed out repeatedly about you know the shortcomings of Mandrega is that it has a pretty low wage rate and there are implications to that here and there but I think that you know for like I said that Mandrega is often the last resort for people especially for tribal communities and dalit communities who are looking for work so by that point you have to understand that you know they they've already run out of their savings and any other opportunities that they can capitalize on so i think that one of the things that economists are constantly saying is that the wage rate needs to go up a bit that's one another is regular payment delays and this is something that i've observed firsthand and it wasn't pretty at all when i was working as a business associate in bank of baroda a couple of years ago and almost every other day the line the queue for 
you know, people who wanted to get some money were full of these Manrega laborers who used to stand in line for hours and just to check whether the money has come to their accounts or not. And a lot of times the money hadn't come to their accounts. So this is a delay that, you know, I've seen firsthand and which exists a lot of times. I previously talked about the women in Bangla Medu and Tamil Nadu. I was reading about their story and they pointed out that they have to walk four kilometers to the nearest bank where their account is to check if the payment has come and to get the wages. But as it turns out, that eight-kilometer walk is totally futile most of the times, simply because the money hasn't come yet. And that ties to, you know, the third shortcoming that I would like to talk about, is which is that there are administrative lapses on the ground. So what happens is that when you think of the Manrega system as like a trickle-down system, so the center pours in money to these schemes, and then this money is allocated to the state governments, and the state governments pass this money to the local panchayats and the local administrative staff that exists. And these people are responsible for carrying on this entire operation of employing these laborers, of making sure that their attendance is marked, and of also making sure that they get the compensation for their work. Now, all of this requires a lot of administrative work. It requires scanning of documents. It requires doing everything perfectly, right? Making sure that the attendance is marked as accurately, as accurately as possible. And also adding to that, a lot of this also requires everything to be done on time. But as we know, and as the adage goes in India that, you know, if it's government work, it's going to be delayed. It, a lot of administrative lapses happen on the ground. Documents are not scanned on time. Attendances are not marked accurately. Compensation is not done perfectly. So a lot of these things happen. And how the government chooses to punish the miscreants in this is by stopping the allocation of money. So because of the administrative lapses, it's often the, the laborers who get affected because of this entire problem, right? They don't get money. Yeah. They don't get compensation for their labor simply because the administration and the administrative staff failed to complete their work. Yeah. So that's quite unfortunate and that's something. So while you yeah. were speaking, I was looking at some data. The Mandrega website has some has a dashboard and it gives you some 40 different metrics which are measured. And one of them is, uh, the last one, in fact, the f- number 41, is percentage payments generated within 15 days. And they claim that it used to be about 89.61, 2018-19. And currently, it's at about 95%, right? They're saying 95% of the payments are generated within 15 days. Now, I mean, if this data is wrong, it's wrong. But if 95% is done, it's not terrible, right? So number one, right? I think the second one you talked about on the wages themselves being low and there's a need to sort of increase the Mandrega wage. I think, yes, absolutely. I think Mandrega wages should be sort of increased on a regular basis, keeping in mind the ground realities. And compared to last year, I think the budget for this year is lower, but the government claims that since COVID is on the wane, the demand for Manrega work will sort of go down and therefore they can do. That's a little hard to accept because as it stands, there's a significant unmet demand of Manrega work. Lots of people, at least 10 million people or more, uh, are looking for work uh, and have not got it, right? 
And even the government's own statements show that a significant percentage of people are, who have applied for work have not been able to, they've not been able to give them work, right? So I think that is one. So I think some of these things are true. I, I agree with you, but I'm not sure about how much the wage can be increased by at this current point in time. So my view here is that if you're able to demonstrate better quality of assets being created using Mandrega work, it would be easier to go out and get more money for Mandrega. I think if the quality of assets produced and like data around what assets have been created using Mandrega remain scarce, it's going to be very hard to generate and provide more money for the scheme, right? I think that's going to be the reality. And that's my view. I mean, what do you say, Sudisha? No, I agree. I mean, obviously, with our proper econometric models, it's hard for us to predict what the wage increase needs to be. And I think in the last three years with the COVID pandemic, we are kind of like in a vicious cycle where this scheme needs more money than ever. But at the same time, we don't have enough money to fund it. So spillovers are happening and there's less budget allocation. So you know, it's hard for me at least to predict what the wage should be to break the cycle and what can be done. But yeah, there is a problem. That's definitely mm-hmm. something I'm acknowledging. And yeah. Yeah, but I think if you look at this document, which was written by Shilp Parma and Tushar Shah, they talk about beyond digging and filling holes. They took some case studies of best performing Manrega water assets. They say that 50% of all the Manrega money seems to have gone towards building some water-related assets. And therefore, they've gone and studied some of those real good successes. And they're saying if others were also to do something similar, then they could benefit quite significantly and get good returns from the money which is being invested on Manrega. So they've come up with some six, seven propositions and say, the first one, they say, pick the low-hanging fruits first. So basically, identify simple things that can be done quickly, requiring like low levels of skill, etc., and which will provide significant annual economic returns, right? So they talk about in Bihar, they talk about cleaning of irrigation canals and channels, the desilting and deepening of tanks and ponds and so on. Similarly, they're saying like, keep Mandrega demand-driven, understand where it is required where more is required and ensure that is done it should the administration itself needs to understand that there is a difference between mandrega and other generally central sponsored schemes the sarpanch seems to be viewing this as an opportunity to gain political mileage and enhance their social clout at the expense of the government of india so they said that you know this needs to be done better so you need to focus on where the demand is and understand which specific labor market is flourishing and where there is greater demand and make sure that those places get money for Mandrega. The third one, they talk about recognize the importance of the assets being created. And that has been my point as well, that you know, if you don't recognize that this is an opportunity to build sustainable assets which can improve the economy, we are going to run out of money at some point or the other. And it's not enough to, and they say, the fourth one, they say it's not enough if you build these assets, fix responsibility for on the Gram Panchayat to regularly maintain these assets which have been created. So I think that's important. So then like, you know, you can make sure that these assets are useful. 
Then they're also, you talked about some administrative lapses. They have a couple of points around how to equip the Mandrega administration, especially in poor areas, and build capacities of where the demand is higher, do that. But they also address one of the points that we talked about earlier, where the better off farmers are complaining that Mandrega has increased wages. It has created a scarcity of agricultural labor. And they even complain about deteriorating work ethic, et cetera. So you need to make it not about between the rich and the poor, but one where you start ensuring that the assets that you are building are actually improving the local water security, are enhancing connectivity to input and output markets, and they improve village amenities, which are available to everyone, right? Not just the poor. That will help improve the entire agrarian economy and therefore improve the labor market also. So that's their point. Says like, you know, let's not reduce Mandrega wages to make it possible. We should not give up the baby with the bathwater. We should make sure that like, you know, the non-wage benefits are enhanced so that the better off farmers also see a stake in its effective implementation. I think that's basically it. I know to summarize what he says is, and I think I agree completely, is about getting the performance measurement right and plan and exit. So eventually, Mandrega would be considered successful if the number of people seeking work through Mandrega goes down, right? So if like year on year, they should see a reduction in Mandrega spending, and they should also see a reduction in demand for Mandrega. I think that's the key thing there. So how can that happen? It can happen when assets created under Mandrega are effectively able to, I'm just quoting them, uh, effectively able to enhance the profitability of agriculture by improving land productivity, providing enhanced water security, connecting villages to input and output markets, and improving rural infrastructure. So I think making sure that we calculate the value of the assets being created, identify the right assets which are to be created, ensure that these assets are maintained, then I think the benefits of Mandrega will be more long-term, and the need for Mandrega will go down over time. Yeah, I think, Shida, you've covered the points which you were talking about that, you know, the things that the government needs to do differently. And I think we've pretty much covered everything about the scheme. Uh, I think I would like to end the podcast with some, with the last segment, which is some of the unintended consequences that have happened because of this scheme. And I think the first one is that, and the listener, you know, I just want to point out that these consequences, you know, when I'm stating those out, there's no positive or negative connotation to that. It depends on the listener on how they want to kind of interpret that. So I think the first one would be that I read somewhere that some of the states in India which share borders with other countries, if the Manrega is very successful in those states, and, and I think this has already happened in some ways, you know, a lot of immigrants from Bangladesh have already been coming to India. Seeing that a scheme like Manrega is successful and, you know, them being able to get daily wage jobs here, this scheme can or probably it already has increased some immigration in India from these neighboring states, from these neighboring countries. So that's one unintended consequence that has probably happened. There's not enough data to measure that, or it may happen in the future. I think another unintended consequence is that 
Manrega has sort of led to higher wages in rural areas, which is contributing to farm mechanization. And we've covered this in our document and even in this podcast that whenever there's farm mechanization in India, it's the men who get to benefit from that because they get the opportunity to to you know uh, use that machinery and 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 the women are kind of sidelined in this entire process so i think that can have a negative impact on women's labor force participation it kind of already has so that's one unintended consequence that's come from this scheme another unintended consequence is that you know we often talk about how the arts and cultural industry in india is dying out a lot of the traditional arts are dying out because there's nobody left to buy them and the skilled workers are also expiring you know the skilled workers in the past in particular arts now they are enrolling their kids in school who are becoming uh, i don't know engineers or teachers or or taking up service based jobs right so those arts are dying out so one unintended consequence is that professions like rural artisans and handloom weavers etc they're losing workers to manrega because Manrega is easy work. It requires unskilled labor and it's guaranteed. So it's almost always available. So that's one reason that can be considered an unintended consequence. And I think another unintended consequence is that while you've pointed out in the podcast and even I've read that, you know, because of Manrega, a lot of environmental conservation projects have happened in india and so many trees have been planted so many canals have been built the cultural output has also gone up a key but you know i think i want to point out that this can differ from state to state so one unintended consequence is that perhaps manrega has led to increased air pollution in delhi and this ties out to my unintended consequence point about increased farm mechanization because of manrega so there is a paper by i think patrick bearer who has used data to conclusively prove that because of manrega farm mechanization has gone up in punjab and haryana and when that happens agricultural output increases and when that happens there is more residue left to burn so according to his paper around there's been an increase of cropland fires by around 9% to 21% in the current scenario because of manrega and he's conclusively proven that through that paper so i think unintended consequence can be that while in some areas in let's say tamil nadu kerala manrega has led to environmental conservation it can also lead to environmental pollution so that also needs to be checked and i think the last unintended consequence i would like to point out is an article i read which said that you know load by the lesser effort involved manrega jobs like digging pits and filling them they don't need any skills and because of that factory workers are actually leaving their factory jobs to to join the manrega scheme and do these unskilled labor jobs because they are so easy and they are so readily available so i think that's another unintended consequence that's been happening for a while and i would like to know your thoughts Yeah I'm I agree with some of them I mean I think the fact that these unintended consequences whenever you have some policy there are always going to be some unintended consequences we need to anticipate them and try to mitigate for them and taking more stringent action against people who violate environmental norms in terms of burning crop etc has to be dealt with but but to me a rising agricultural wage is a good sign 
right? And mechanization of farm work is also a good sign because India has always had some issues with, I mean, if you look at yield per hectare of agriculture in India, for most crops, it's much below global averages. So I think that's important to take into account. And states which use greater mechanization like Punjab, Haryana, etc. have like higher yield per hectare than states which do not. So I think there has to be that carrot and stick approach towards the environment. And we can't like, you know, throw the baby away with the bathwater to repeat what I had said earlier by not doing it. Not doing Mandrega is not a choice anymore. No political party will have the guts to go and remove a scheme like this. But in fact, it can be strengthened. I think a well, a government with good intentions will find ways of ensuring that the assets created to Mandrega are really useful and better. And I think if we build more accountability on that, I think some of these things can be dealt with and it can become a, a really successful program. Yeah, agreed. And with that, I think we've done a holistic assessment of the Pandriga scheme. And I think we should end this podcast. So thank you, Sridhar, for joining me. And thanks to anyone who listened to the podcast. And we'll be back with another episode soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.